0: Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Mr. Joe. been called a lot of things. Mr. Joe is not one that... Um, thanks, Ian. I hear you back there. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. I am, uh, my name is Joe, one of the pastors here. Before we get into um, the message today, I just wanted to um, underscore the Saving Grace 101. If you have been attending the church and you're looking for a home church, you don't have a home church, we would really encourage you to check that class out. The first class will be at our house um, this Thursday. 6 p.m. so you can sign up today. But if you have questions about that, come see me after the service. I'd love to answer any questions you might have. It doesn't obligate you to be a member of the church, but it does um, hopefully help you answer some questions you might have and get to know more people. These classes are always a ton of fun. It's one of the reasons we do them in a small group setting because the people that take them really build friendships with one another as well. So please check that out. Uh, This past um, week, one of our... um, one of our, let's say, attenders, regular attenders, who I would consider a member, though they didn't take the membership class, Willard Turner uh, went to be with the Lord yesterday morning. If you don't know Willard, he was small of stature. He was often a walker when he was with us, 92 years old, um, but he was huge in heart for the Lord. Uh, Many of you might not know that Willard was a faithful Nazarene pastor for years, and I got the opportunity to Spend a little bit of time with him on Friday evening, and I felt like the Lord brought a scripture to mind immediately as I was driving or as I was heading over to his house. So I wanted to read that. Robert, if you could project uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. I read the scripture to him, and as I read and reminded him of the good news that he has believed and preached for years and years, though in a very frail state, he lifted his arm as praise to the Lord. Um, And I want this to be a, just a, this is not the sermon, this is the the pre-sermon, but I want this to be um, burnt in our minds, because I have been at the bedside of uh, those who have lived, Unbelievable lives for the Lord, faithful lives for the Lord. May use their gifts and talents for the Lord. And I've been uh, by the bedside of those who have rejected the Lord till their dying breath, and the contrast couldn't be sharper. And I want May Willard's life be a motivation for us of how to live well for the Lord. We're all going to meet the Lord. We're going to meet him as friends, as forgiven children. Or as his enemies. But we're going to meet the Lord. And this is what I read to Willard. Because I know it was true of him. This is the Apostle Paul. As he's contemplating his own death. He said. For I am already being poured out. As a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. So Willard had fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Ninety-two years, majority since the age of, I think, his early to mid-twenties have been following the Lord. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who love his appearing. Willard dearly loved his appearing. He's leaving behind his children, his wife, his wife. Janice, of 66 years, they had an awesome, fruitful, God-glorifying marriage. So please pray for the family. Pray for his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But we have much to be thankful for when we think of Willard and the example of running hard after the Lord he was to us. So let's pray. and We're going to pray for the sermon as well. Then we'll jump in. Father, We thank you that this world isn't all that there is. We thank you that you sent your son to rescue and redeem. We thank you for Willard's faithful life. We thank you for saving him, forgiving him, causing him to be born again. We thank you for uh, Janice, and we thank you for their, their wonderful marriage. We pray you would bring comfort to those who are grieving his loss this morning, and we pray we would be motivated to run hard after you. But we know all oh, one day we will stand before you face to face. Would you prepare us for that day? And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter eight. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter eight. Who remembers the one key word that Jason said, if you remember anything Last week, remember this word, and it was in all 61 of the slides that were projected behind him as he preached. Access. Good job. Doesn't that feel good? That would have been bad if they didn't remember, Jason. Access. And uh, for Brian Wolf, who put those 61 slides together, he enjoyed putting access at the top of every one of those 61 slides. Well, today I'm going to do two things. I'm going to add a word in front of access, and then I'm going to give us a new word to remember. The word I'm going to put in front of access is guaranteed access. Because of Jesus, we have guaranteed access to the presence of God. Guaranteed access. You ready for the new word? Change. Change. Say the word change together. Change change. We have guaranteed access, and we have guaranteed change. I mean, we can be changed from the inside out. We can be transformed. So we have access, we have change, and we're going to see both in our passage this morning. I'm going to read the entirety of Hebrews chapter 8, and then we'll just work our way through it. So if you have a Bible, follow with me. If not, you can look behind me. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 Now the point and what we are saying is this We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up not man according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion or no need to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Now the author of Hebrews is going to quote the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You can sum up all those words into two words, access and change. Jesus guarantees access, as we will see, and Jesus guarantees change, transformation from the inside out. First point, Jesus guarantees access into the presence of God. If you've been coming for a little while during our Hebrew series, you would have heard us say more than on one occasion that the book of Hebrews is really best understood not as a letter, but as, a, as some uh, scholars called a sermonic letter, meaning like a sermon, like he was actually preaching this, and they wrote it down. And verse 1 uh, strikes me as 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 funny, but it, it also fits that sermonic letter kind of feel. Probably not a phrase you use often, sermonic letter. You can, can use that this week. Verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. So he, you, you can imagine he's preaching like, I am to you guys. People are kind of fading out. Like, what's he talking about? He's talking about temples and priests and high priests and this guy, Melchizedek. And now, the point that I'm trying to say is this. So he's bringing everybody back. Here's the point I'm trying to say, he says, in verse 1. We have such a high priest. We have this great kingly high priest, the king of righteousness. He's both a, both a king and a king. The perfect high priest. The one who would sacrifice, bleed, and die on our behalf. One who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. In other words, Jesus died on the cross. He paid for our sins. He was the once for all perfect sacrifice to God the Father. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. Now he is exalted and seated at the right hand, the position of authority in heaven, the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. He is in literally the holy of holies, in God's presence, in the true tent, not, not like the tent or the tabernacle of the Old Testament, which was a representation and, and of the holy of holies, and God would show up, but Jesus himself right now Seated at the right hand of the Father in God's presence. The true tent that the Lord set up for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Now he's going back to the Mosaic covenant, to the Old Testament. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. So we've been learning a lot about that. So the the priests of the line of Aaron would, would present sacrifices on behalf of the people and on behalf of their own sins and wrongdoings. Jesus didn't have to do that because he was perfect. He presented himself as the perfect sacrifice, and he did not need a sacrifice for himself because he was absolutely perfect. Then verse 3 says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Not so with Jesus. Verse 4. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. What he means there, Jesus, as as Jason did a great job explaining last week, he was not of the line of Aaron. He was of the tribe of Judah. And so he wouldn't even met met the, 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 the lineage to be a high priest back under the Mosaic Covenant. That's where this mysterious fellow that Jason did such a good job preaching about last week points to this priest king, not from the line of Aaron, who would be the ultimate high priest. See, Jesus was superior to all the priests in the Old Testament in every way. And here's the thing. Because Jesus was superior in every way, he has guaranteed access to every single person that puts their faith in Jesus. We have guaranteed access 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at all times if we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus. We can enter into God's presence. The way is permanently open. We have guaranteed access. This past week, you had Guaranteed access. This upcoming week, you have guaranteed access if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. On your worst day as a Christian, you have guaranteed access. On your worst day as a college student, you have guaranteed access. On your worst day as a father, where you feel like you've just failed, If you're a believer in Jesus, you have guaranteed access. On your worst day as a friend, think I'm not a good friend. I wasn't a faithful friend. I wasn't there for them when they need. You have guaranteed access. On your worst day as an employee, where you're just kind of making mistakes all over the place, you have guaranteed access to the Lord. That is good news That is great news. We're never going to stop reminding you of that. When Willard passed away, what the Apostle Paul said is true. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Immediate presence with the Lord. Guaranteed access because Jesus is our substitute. That is great news this morning. Now, what what the author of Hebrews is going to continue to do, and really, chapter 8, verse 1 through chapter 10 is kind of a new big idea um, for the author of Hebrews. And we're going to keep walking through it. But he's going to keep walking through this idea. And now he's going to show us how the Old Testament is just a copy and shadow of what Jesus ultimately fulfilled. So look at verse 5. They, that's the priests, that's the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, the laws, the the first five books of the, the Bible, they serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So when he's on Mount Sinai, he receives the Ten Commandments, Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So these three verses here, they they teach us how to understand the Old Testament. So think of um, the Mosaic law, God making a covenant, a binding agreement with Moses on behalf of the people of Israel. It's to be a copy and a shadow, a faint picture of what is to come. Think of all the patriarchs in the Bible. They are a copy, a shadow, a type of the perfect Messiah That would come. Think of the priest going repeatedly, year after year, on behalf of the people. They are a copy, a shadow of the priest that who one day would come and sacrifice himself once for all. And that priest, Jesus, will will inaugurate and has brought the new covenant, a new way of relating to God the Father uh, with better terms that is far, far better than the old now that doesn't mean there was anything wrong with the old the the law itself was good the law was very good it doesn't mean God in the Old Testament is different than God in the New Testament if you read the Old Testament God was loving God was merciful God was patient the problem with the Old Covenant the Mosaic Covenant where the Ten Commandments were given and the other laws were given wasn't God and it wasn't the law wasn't even the terms. Do you know what the problem was with the Old Covenant? It's the people. The problem with the Old Covenant is the human heart had no ability to keep the law. Inability. Total inability. So God would give rules but there was no power. There was no guaranteed change. There were parameters placed on that were good from a loving, faithful, wise God. But as we're going to see in a moment, there was no power to obey. When Jesus came, not only did he break open the access, but he broke open the power. Hopefully this illustration is not demeaning to the old covenant or the new covenant, but it was the best I could think of. So if you put that picture up, Robert, does anybody know what that's called? Well, it is a horseless carriage, that is true, and um, Henry Ford called it the quadricycle. So his, so you got four wheels, quadricycle, that was Henry Ford's first automobile. Keep that picture up. So he built that in 1896, it had two speeds. It would go 10 miles per hour or 20 miles per hour. So that is the first automobile that Henry Ford designed. Please put up the second picture. Does anybody know what that is? I know some of our teens aren't here that are car people, but anybody know what that is? Bugatti. That is a Bugatti. Anybody know what kind of Bugatti it is? Starts with a B. It's a Bugatti. I don't don't know if I said that right, but it is a Bugatti. This this Bugatti top speed is 310 miles per hour. And it goes zero to 60 in 2.16 seconds. So put the quadricycle back up for a second. Beats riding a horse, right? And probably none of you came in that, and I'm assuming none of you came in a Bugatti either. but it was sufficient it served a purpose put the bugatti back up but the quadricycle is not the bugatti at all okay you can take the image down the point is this the old covenant the mosaic covenant it was a good thing it served a purpose for a time in the story of redemption as it was unfolding But it was never intended to be the last word from the Lord. The Lord was always driving towards the new covenant, the Messiah that would one day come. So if you find that helpful, quadricycle, Bugatti, Mosaic covenant, new covenant. That may have never been shared before in the history of Christianity and maybe it shouldn't ever again, but hopefully you'll remember it. With Jesus coming, with this guaranteed access that was open, I want to read just a passage from from Jason's sermon last week in Hebrews Hebrews 7, because we have to get our minds around how much access we really have to the presence of God. It is an incredible, real, present-day reality for us. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting... That we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heaven. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, for first for his own sins and then for the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He paid for your sins once for all. If you are a believer in Jesus, he paid for Everything, once for all. Verse 28, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath, God speaking, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Our access has everything to do with the son who has been made perfect forever. So we don't need to put ourselves on probation. If you sin as a Christian, confess your sins, turn from your sins, ask others to help you grow and change, but do not remove yourself from spending time with God. Run to the Lord rather than away from the Lord. You and I need the Lord all the time. So we have a guaranteed access. Not only a guaranteed access, But we have a guarantee of change. Look at chapter 7, verse 22. It's a powerful little verse. Verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. He's the one who secures the guarantee that there was going to be a better way to relate to a holy God then the Mosaic Covenant, then the Ten Commandments, then all the laws of the Old Testament. That better way had been prophesied and promised in the Old Testament. So now what the author of Hebrews is going to do, he's going to show the better way, not from the Apostle Paul, but from the prophet Jeremiah. So the remainder here is is one large quotation from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Point two, Jesus guarantees change from the inside out. This is good news for us. Verse eight, chapter eight. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, When I will establish a new covenant, a new way to relate to the people of God with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. In other words, God rescued the Israelites, from slavery. He brought them out into the wilderness. He revealed himself at Mount Sinai. He gave them the law. And God's people, for the most part, kept rebelling and rebelling. And when, when it says that he had nothing to do with them, one way to understand it, it, it he, he just let them go. He let them go to their own sinful desires and passions. They had no power In and of themselves to keep the law. And he let them go. Now, listen. This is the good news. Verse 10. It's talking about this new covenant. For this covenant, for this is the covenant I will make with the the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now, this should be mind blowing. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. Something internal will happen. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. From the least to the greatest. From the, 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 the most Vile Gentile outcast to the greatest shall know me. Verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Verse 13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. The new is the Bugatti. It's, nobody's riding a quadricycle anymore. It's obsolete. It is, it is history. This new one is so much better. See, Jeremiah, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is prophesying this new covenant. Jesus is the one who made the new covenant possible. Jesus, when he died as our substitute, he ushered in the new covenant. That we come by the terms of trusting in his finished work on the cross. There's different ways to approach the Bible and subjects like this. You can approach it in a more scholarly way, and you can study, and you can examine, and you can see all these cool connections from the Old Testament to the New Testament and the way Jesus fulfills very specific prophecies. That has its place, and that, that can be a really useful thing. But what I want us to do is I want us to think about these truths more where we live where the rubber meets the road, where where there is real change, internal change offered to you and I in Jesus. So if you are a Christian, here's what happened to you. You were dead in your sins. God's Holy Spirit came inside of you and made you alive. You turned from your sins. You trusted in Jesus Christ and you became the dwelling place for God himself. So God's spirit is inside of you, and the realities of the new covenant are inside of you. And one of the primary realities is that you can be changed, you can be transformed. Your behavior, your internal desires can be renewed and changed. So I don't want us to approach it so much as a scholar right now, but as a a desperate human being in need of change. So, I have some categories for for us to think about. So, in Christ, in Jesus, because of the new covenant, here's a reality for you and I. Here's what is possible real freedom and real change is possible. I'm going to run through some categories. In the new covenant, you no longer have to be a slave to sinful anger. To hateful, vile speech, the things that come out of your mouth. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to renew you and change you from the inside out. There is power to change. There is power to change from relentless, lustful thoughts that make you feel dirty and grimy, and condemned, and re-enslaved. The Holy Spirit wants to renew and change. That's the beauty of the new covenant. Freedom is really possible. For those of you who are gripped by fear, worry, anxiety, despondency, hopelessness, there's an eternal well of salvation in you by the Holy Spirit. That he can take the darkness, the despair, the gripping fear and replace it with hope, confidence and joy in the Lord. This is not something you do. God's spirit in us as we respond, he will transform and he will change. For those of you gripped with bitterness because of real wrongs done to you and it's crippling By the power of the Holy Spirit, there can be real spirit brought forgiveness and compassion and love even for the wrongdoers. Just like Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is supernatural freedom and transformation that God has for you. For those of you who have intense feelings of loneliness and isolation, God, the Holy Spirit, wants to renew and free and bring change from the inside out. Maybe you're enslaved to jealousy and comparing yourself to others, what they have, how they look, what they're good at, what you're bad at. And you just go through all these things and, and you're, you're looking at social media and it's just this, this sinking comparison game where you are just feeling useless, and worthless. Not so for those of you who are in Christ. God wants to transform and to change. Maybe you are just gripped by laziness. It's not one we talk about a lot, but it's one the Proverbs talk about quite a bit that you're just not doing anything. And people keep telling you to do stuff and you're not able to do it. Well, if you are in Christ, there's transformation there. He can make you a worker. He can make you diligent and productive and be a blessing to others. Maybe your default sins are lying, cheating, stealing, gambling, just all that tied into a ball. And though you're a Christian, you haven't experienced great freedom god wants you to know that when his spirit comes inside he renews he changes he transforms maybe your besetting area is just overwhelming guilt and shame of sins of your past and it is just like a like one of those weighted blankets it's just on you at all times would jesus our great high priest who opened the way He wants you to know forgiveness and freedom and joy. And as you own your sins of the past, you turn from those sins and you really believe that your substitute Jesus suffered, bled, and died for those very sins. Oh, there is great freedom in the new covenant. Look at verse 8 again. For he finds fault with them. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand, brought them out of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them. But look at verse 10 now. For this covenant... This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's what I'll do, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write it on their hearts, not on tablets of stone, but their stony hearts. I will make soft, pliable, and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God transforms from the inside out that's the promise and the hope of the new covenant it would be like one of us buying an old farmhouse in the country and before we do anything to the outside before we change windows put on new siding put on a new roof we just gut the whole thing and we take care of the plumbing and the electric and all the systems first and so if you're driving by the house it just looks like the same old farmhouse but if you go inside the house, even before the drywall is put back up, oh, there's new life. There's new electric. There's new plant. Everything's starting to work. It's set up for the long haul. Well, that's what happens to you and I. The moment you trust in Jesus, the, the, the transformation begins. God's Spirit comes inside. Now, some, maybe from a distance, won't notice it right away. But over time, you will notice it hopefully immediately and they We'll notice it over time. Oh, you might look the same when you look in the mirror, but you're, you're being transformed from the inside out. See, Ezekiel prophesied of the same thing in Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful To obey my rules. Paul said it this way. Therefore if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old is gone. It's passed away. And the new has come. See Jesus guarantees. Guarantees transformation. And the key to this. Is this personal relationship. Look at verse 11. Jesus guarantees a personal relationship. With the Lord. And they will not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. We can have a personal relationship with the God who made heaven and earth. That is incredible news. That's the incredible reality that Jesus made possible and made available. If you haven't yet turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, do not wait any longer call out to him run towards him ask him to show himself to you and he will and if you wonder will Jesus really forgive me will Jesus really show me love read Matthew Mark Luke or John in the New Testament you will watch Jesus relate to all kinds of messy people all kinds of messy people and he would go to them with great compassion he would let lepers Draw near to him. And rather than Jesus becoming unclean, his cleanness went to them. He made the leper clean. He he had great compassion with thieves and liars and prostitutes. Demon-possessed homeless men who, who nobody wanted anything to do with. Jesus would come and free. You can know the living God If you call out to him, and if you do know the living God, keep going to him. Get to know him better and better and better. See, Jesus guarantees a personal relationship with the Lord. Jesus guarantees once for all forgiveness. Once for all. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will be merciful. Toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Before you and I trusted in Jesus, we were storing up debt against God. All of our sins were making us guiltier and guiltier and guiltier in God's courtroom. We were guilty. For 19 years of my life, I lived in rebellion against God, and I was storing up guilt storing up, deserved wrath. And in a moment, when I was born again, I turned from my sins and I trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, that debt was canceled. Paid for in full. He will remember our sins no more. On your own, look up Psalm 103 sometime today or this coming week. And just recount the benefits of knowing God through Christ. I'm going to skip Psalm 103, Robert, but I want to read the, the two verses in Romans. If you are in Christ, Romans 8:1 is true of you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, no eternal wrath will be given you. No punishment. No condemnation. If you struggle with guilt, memorize this verse. Believe this verse. Jesus took the wrath that you deserve. Jesus took the punishment that you deserved. Therefore, what, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, is true for all of us who know Jesus. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You've guaranteed access, you've guaranteed change. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the good news of the new covenant. We have guaranteed access to the presence of God. We have guaranteed hope of transformation from the inside out. Let's all stand. If the band can come up, I'm going to pray. Then we'll sing. Holy Spirit, we ask that the good news of the new covenant would be real to everyone watching and everybody in this room. We pray, we ask, that those who are discouraged by slow growth and slow progress, there would be faith infused today in their minds and hearts. They really believe that your words in Jeremiah and Ezekiel are true, that they, as the Apostle Paul said, can walk, in the newness of life of the risen Christ. We want to experience your power. Lord, we also ask that anyone who is not yet a believer in Jesus would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ today. We ask that you would do that for your glory and for the good of many. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Would you fill our hearts with joy as we sing? We ask this in your name. Amen.